Welcome to 10-Minute Theology, thinking rightly about God, scriptures, and the church. 10 minutes at a time, with Joel Wentz. Welcome to part two of the discussion that the last episode kicked off. That discussion is on the question, how can you trust the Bible? And specifically, I'm talking about this kind of aimed at uh, skeptics, people who bring that question in a skeptical manner. How can you trust the Bible today? If that question is of interest to you, I definitely recommend listening to part one, the previous episode, if you haven't yet, because that whole episode is about taking apart the sneaky presuppositions uh, that get smuggled in uh, to that question very frequently. And I also try to do some work to lay out some very careful definitions of the terms that we're working with here. And this episode now, moving from forward from that, will be about how to put forward a positive case that the scriptures are, I believe, trustworthy. So listen to part one if you haven't yet, because that'll give some helpful, I think, groundwork. I'm going to be using some terms that I talked about in that episode, so that might be helpful to you. Um, So yes, this is going to get a little apologetics-ish in a sense, because I am going to be defending the scriptures, but don't worry, I'm not going to get into the well-worn apologetics territory of quoting statistics, and uh, I'm not using Lee Strobel or Josh McDowell, for example, any of that kind of thing. Um, those are fine for their for their context, but it's not what I'm trying to use or do here. So if you've heard all of those arguments and like more than a carpenter or evidence that demands a verdict or, you know, those kinds of things, uh, if you've heard all that and you're familiar with it, great. I'm not going to be really going into that sort of territory here, just so you know. If you haven't heard of it, uh, don't worry about it. Uh, hopefully you enjoy this conversation. So let's assume... Let's assume everything that we talked about in part one has already happened. We were able to nail down a bit more precisely the nature of the conflict and tension in this question about trusting the Bible. Um, Part of what I want to show now is how the same exact question, it can even be worded the same way, very vaguely and open-ended, and you can simply say, how can you trust the Bible, right? Someone can come up to you and say that. That same question can actually play out in very, very different ways depending, again, on the precise nature of the tension that the questioner is experiencing and and the the tension that caused them to ask that. So, what I want to do here is actually work through three different kind of conversation paths, three different ways this conversation go out. This is by no means exhaustive. I mean, this question, there's so many other ways this conversation can go, but there are three kind of common examples, per se, that I've seen and experienced regularly. Um, based on the question, how can you trust the Bible? So I'm going to walk through these three, history, science, and then what I consider the deepest or really probably the most important one, which is faith. So how can you trust the Bible in matters of history? How can you trust it in matters of science? And how can you trust it in matters of faith? That's the roadmap for where this conversation is going. So uh, to keep this at 10 minutes, I'm going to have to move quickly, but hopefully this will be helpful. So first, one path is on the question of history, historicity. I kind of alluded to this in the last episode, but if the, if, if the person that is coming with this question, and if this is you, maybe you're coming with the question of like, how can you place, uh, how can you trust the Bible? Right. And if you're, you're in your mind, you're thinking about all the historical content, a better amended question would be, how can you place any confidence in the way that the Bible talks about the history of the world, right? Or the historical counts uh, in the Old Testament in particular is usually where people go with this. So that would be a more a more exact amended question is specifically targeting history. Now, the presupposition here, which I spent a lot of time talking about last week, but the presupposition here in asking this question is that reasonable people today get their history elsewhere, right? If you think about that, 
if you didn't believe that, you wouldn't really be asking the question in that way. But but the assumption is that reasonable people get their history from other places than the Bible. And the Bible is not uh, is on shaky ground, you could say. That's the assumption, at least in, in, in talking about history. So my response to that, well, where is a more reasonable place to get your history? Most of the history that I learned in my public school education is already uh, being significantly revised, or I've had to go back and relearn a lot of it, for example, particularly historical narratives around like the American West, right? Uh, the Civil War, and especially the slave trade, Jim Crow, and the way race has played uh, a factor into our history as a country. Like all of that stuff, I've had to significantly revisit and, and experience some revisions of the way my history was taught to me. So if that's happened to me, and probably to a lot of other people, who's to say that the history we're learning now won't be similarly in need of revision down the line? And this is not, hear me clearly, this is not an argument for some sort of extreme historical relativism, right? Um, but it's just being kind of sober and honest about our own limited perspectives on the way and the ways that we construct historical narratives and, and our own historical understandings of who we are and what we do and why we do it. This is, this is just the, the matter of doing careful history, right? So where do you get your history and how do you trust that, whatever it is? whether it's a specific historian or a specific curriculum or the way, I don't know what, however you're taught in school, whatever it is, where do you get it and why and why do you trust it? Or do you trust it? These are important questions. But the question must come back to why, why trust the Bible from a historical perspective? And this is admittedly where things like archaeology can be helpful. There are recent, even even pretty recent, intriguing finds um, in the field of archaeology about figures like King David and his dynasty and the question of whether or not Israel was ever unified, right? Um, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, just start Googling around. You can find some interesting stuff. Um, and there's always fragments of manuscripts of biblical texts surfacing in various areas. Um, there's a really interesting story about uh, an Egyptian mask that was taken apart. That was a paper mache essentially, and it was taken apart very carefully, and they found a text from the Gospels in it, right? It was basically trash, uh, but it's actually a really important historical find. This is constantly happening in the field of archaeology. Um, and you can find that stuff just by quickly poking around. It's not hard. It's not hard to look it up. And it is important to admit that some, not all, but some parts of the scriptures are deeply historical. The poetry, for example, Ecclesiastes is not really relying on historical events, but some are. Some parts of the Bible are deeply historical and indeed depend on historical events. If Jesus never actually walked around, for example, that would rightfully cause some serious crisis in whether or not we can trust the accounts there. And we should continue to encourage exploration of archaeology and continue to refine our own understandings of history. But all of that being said, my kind of ultimate response to this is that my deepest faith in the biblical accounts is not in how well they can correspond to our reconstructions of history through archaeology. I am not, uh, you know, expecting that, or, or that's not where my faith is ultimately rooted in terms of my trust in the Bible, and more on more on some of where my faith is rooted in a minute. But, but there is a lot of intriguing correlation between the historical archaeological evidence and the basic historical narrative of the Bible. Yes, I am even including the Old Testament in that statement. Secular, completely secular archaeological and historical signs all point to some really basic historical facts. There was a King Solomon. There was a King David. There was a Babylonian Nebuchadnezzar and a Persian Cyrus. There was a rabbi named Jesus, and there was a traveling apostle named Paul, 
right? All of that is intact by what we keep finding historically. There isn't much more to say beyond that, to be honest, because I'm not trying to push this too hard. Again, my faith is not in fundamentally how well these scriptures correspond to the ways we are reconstructing and understanding history now. There's there's a balance here because there is some important historicity that does need to be intact. And I already already alluded to that. Yeah, if if there was no King David, then yeah, I would seriously question the integrity of the scriptures. But that's not where the signs are pointing in from an archaeological, even purely secular perspective. There is nothing that exists that I can see, and I approach these things as openly as I can. There is nothing that I can see to cause a fundamental distrust in what the Bible is trying to say about our history. The basic historical narrative is, is, and I think will remain intact. But the Bible is saying a lot more than just a basic narrative of history, right? So that's a little bit on that question. On question two, on the science question, the infamous science question, though a more um, amended, more precise question would be maybe how can you place confidence in the way the Bible talks about science, about biology, about physics, about cosmology, about all this stuff? The presupposition here, I think, is that modern science is incompatible with the biblical account of reality, and on top of that, reasonable people must go with the scientific account. They're pitted against each other, and the reasonable person has to choose science. There's a lot of layers even just to that. I don't have time to go into, but this is kind of similar to the history question above. Um, And I would say my response is similar too. Where do you get your scientific understanding, right? What do you trust in that realm? I take the scientific community very seriously. I I really do. I think think the, the genome mapping is super interesting. I think theoretical physics is incredibly fascinating. And I have no reason to distrust what the scientific community is trying to do in those fields. But at the same time, scientific understanding is constantly getting clarified and even occasionally changing significantly. String theory was all the rage when I was in grad school. And I read that stuff like crazy. No one's talking about string theory right now, for example. You know, if I want to be snarky, I could say, well, Pluto was a planet, right? When I was in grade school, it's not anymore. So there are, there are paradigm shifts that happen in science. So where do you, what do you trust there? Uh, and w- what do you uh, fundamentally lean on in terms of your scientific understanding of reality? Most likely, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit here, but it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty dependable limb. I think it's a pretty low hanging thick limb <laughs> uh, because most likely someone with this particular hang up probably wants to talk about either one, the age of the earth, or two, biological evolution. And honestly, unless you and the questioner are both deeply educated in those fields, you are likely going to be stumbling around in a conversation that neither of you know much about, frankly. And I mean, I mean, I will and I do occasionally talk very uh, at length about things like evolution but I'm pretty reluctant to get too deep into that, mostly because of my own ignorance there. Like, I, there are people that devote their entire careers to that field of science. And unless you are in that field and talking with someone else who's in that field or at least well-educated on it, you're probably going to be both saying a lot of things that um, either don't comport with cur- the current consensus or, or just simply aren't true anymore. Or, uh, there's all kinds of ways that you can stumble around our own ignorance and our own lack of expertise when we get into the weeds on the scientific issue, right? So that's that's a trap that I've fallen into, and I've seen people fall into it as the, the, the accuracy of the Bible gets debated. So of, just be careful. Be careful about that. And my ultimate response here to the science angle 
is simply, it might be, it might actually not be satisfying to you because it's actually pretty simple. My ultimate response is that the Bible is not a science book. (laughs) The Bible is not a scientific textbook. It never makes claims to be trying to be that. It is not an attempt to put forward a scientific understanding um, as we understand science today. Uh, It's just not that. It's just not that. Yes, there is ancient, you could say primitive, although the connotations of that word are kind of negative, but but strictly historically, yeah, there's a primitive scientific understanding in the Bible. They talk about the firmament, the sky. They talk about the earth being held up by pillars. Uh, the way they talk about how rain works and how floods work and where it comes from, um, all of that stuff, it is, it is primitive. It is. It just is. But, and this is important, that is completely expected for the venue of that the texts were being written in, the ancient world. In fact, it would be weirder, and, and listen to this, I think it would make it less reliable to see an ancient Jewish writer waxing eloquently about quantum physics in a way that comports with our understanding of it today. That would actually make it seem more suspect to me if they were talking about science in that way. Um, so the fact that they're not, the fact that it is uh, it really occupies that its own time and day and era in its scientific understandings of its own world makes it more historically reliable to me. So the fundamental point here is that the science it is not a science book. Do not force it to be one. Do not force a conflict there where I think none exists. So that's the science angle. History and science. And finally, I know I'm going a little long, um, but finally, faith. Right. And this is where you get to the, the kind of the beating heart of this question, I think. I think this is where you can have a real vital conversation about the scripture and the role scriptures can play in someone's life. So a more amended question, again, I'm doing an amended question for each of these, but a more precise question would be something like, honestly, how can you put your faith in the God the Bible talks about, in the way the Bible talks about God, in the way the Bible talks about sin, in the way the Bible talks about humans and the, the plight and the, the problem that we're in. How can, you, how can you put faith and trust in the way the Bible talks about salvation uh, or what God is doing, right? Tons of questions spool out of that when you get to the faith part um, of this, of the faith angle of this question. Tons of questions spool out from it, and it's the good stuff. It's the good, really good questions. But it comes back to, how do you trust the biblical account of it? How do you trust the way the biblical writers talk about this stuff, right? This is, like I said, probably the area that's the most important, the most fundamental. Science history, yes, great. If, you, if that's where your hang-up is, we will, let's talk about it. Let's get into it. But this faith, questions of faith, is the most fundamental in my mind. And I think this is precisely what the biblical texts are about, I said a minute ago that they're not about science. I think they are about this, though. And that's why it's so good to talk about it. Because, yes, the biblical texts make claims about faith. They make supernatural claims. Although, maybe they make less supernatural claims than you realize or assume. But, they do, the texts do claim that God is there. They claim that God is is real, that God is active. The New Testament specifically claims that God is love, And the New Testament more so claims that that love is fully embodied and displayed in the life of Jesus. And more than that, um, you can't really take the Bible seriously without admitting that it talks about sin, right? Sin is a thing you can't get around. It talks about 
in the way of saying humans are subject to sin and humans can't pull themselves out of it, right? These are, these are claims the Bible is making that we've got to wrestle with. And all that stuff I just mentioned, that's pretty boiled down Christian basic theology. And honestly, to me, those claims make pretty good sense of the world that I see and the world that I occupy and live in. And yes, it does require a real measure of trust to put yourself there, to say what I just said, that this makes sense to me, and to place faith and trust in that account of reality in the world. It requires a measure of trust to put yourself there. But that is actually what faith is. Faith and trust are very, very closely related. It requires faith to think that that stuff might be true, that God is there, that sin is a thing that I can't pull myself out of it, but that God actually has done something to to repair that, to work on that, that fundamental plight that we're in. That requires faith to get there. It really does. Can't shy away from that. I don't want to shy away from that. I want to ask people to consider that, actually. And this is important, and I'm going to end on this. To say that all of those claims are not true, to say that God is not there, that God is not active, that there is no such thing as sin, for example, and that we can pull ourselves out of the problems we're in, to say all of those counterclaims is also actually pretty radical in its own way. Looking at the world today, looking at the previous century, looking at the wars, looking at the nuclear age, uh, looking at all of that and the Holocaust and terrorism, all of these things, to look at all that and to say that humans can pull ourselves out of our own messes and that we're well on the way. And yes, I know that Steven Pinker has put forward a very compelling case for general improvement of the world, but still to say that we can pull ourselves out of it, we can fix it all and we have it all in us, the basic humanist claim, that's pretty bold. You know, it's a claim worth discussing. I'll discuss it with you, but it's pretty bold. It's pretty radical in its own way. So to make counterclaims to what the Bible is positively claiming is an alternative set of faith claims to my mind. So let's talk about that and let's go there with the conversation. So I ask you, I ask you, what do you trust? Where do you get your answers about all these things? Where is the fundamental tension? If you experience any, where is the fundamental tension between you and what the biblical texts are saying? And might the ancient collection of these biblical stories and parables and teachings and texts and poetry and songs, might that collection be worth another look? Thanks for listening. For more information, you can check out the podcast page at joelwentz.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at joelthevaliant. And of course, you can subscribe to 10 Minute Theology on iTunes. Take care.